New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. At some point in our lives, we experience pain. Living with physical or emotional pain is part of the journey of being human. And when pain refuses to go away, we strive to reduce it or move through our lives despite the pain. Most of us are looking for one button to push, the one pill to take, or a single change to make in our lives. The truth is that it's not easy when pain has taken up residence in our lives. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, no single key, no quick fix. Our guest today has lived with pain for over a long period of time, and she can attest to the fact that when we create a new relationship with our bodies, our emotions, our minds, and our spirits, our healing can truly unfold. Join us as we explore this deeply transformative path with our guest, Sarah Ann Shockley. Sarah Ann Shockley is an award-winning filmmaker and neuro-linguistic programming practitioner. She has studied with shamans from various cultures around the world and has lived with the debilitating thoracic outlet syndrome for more than 10 years. She has been a columnist for Pain News Network and is a regular contributor to The Mighty, a 1.5 million member online community for those living with chronic illness. Because her condition was unresponsive to existing traditional or alternative therapies, she developed a unique method of pain management and pain reduction not reliant on pharmaceuticals or medical intervention. She's the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. Dr. Bernie Siegel, has contributed a foreword to her book. Join us for the next hour as we explore transforming our relationship with pain with our guest, Sarah Ann Shockley. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Justine. I'm delighted to be here. It's a delight to have you on this most uh, important subject that touches so many of our lives. I would love for you to share a bit of your story, how you 
decided to write this book because of your own pain mm-hmm. syndrome. So describe that to us, please. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, in the fall of 2007, I contracted the condition you mentioned earlier, thoracic outlet syndrome. And it's not that well known, although it's it's becoming fairly prevalent um, I contracted it from computer use. I'm almost six feet tall and I was working with uh, not just a laptop keyboard, but a mini laptop. So every time I was working at my job, I was collapsing the, the top part of my body unwittingly. And that over after a period of a couple of years, the collapse became permanent. And so what that means is there's a space between the clavicles, the collarbones, and the first rib. And through that space, a large muscle from the neck, the scalene muscle, and large nerve ganglia, a major artery, and and some veins have to fit. And it's an already pretty narrow space, a lot going on in there. So when that collapses, all of those things are effectively are squeezed and compressed. It's uh, incredibly painful. Um, it's very debilitating. It um, very it reduces the ability to use your arms and hands. Um, it creates not just tingling and numbing pain, but shooting pains, aches, a lot of burning. There's a, the nerve pain can be uh, really tremendous. And uh, my neck became almost immobile. I could barely try to turn my whole body to kind of move my head. Um, and difficult to close the hands or use the hands at all. And it came on virtually overnight. I'm sure it was coming on for a long time, but the, but the awareness of it and the, uh, the, the pain from it came on very quickly. And so I had to stop working. Um, I was a single mom at the time. My son was 11. And I had to stop basically everything. So it was incredibly, it was a, it was a shock it was like an overnight from being very active. I was the kind of person that did a lot. You know, I was active um, athletically, but also um, the kind of person that gets things done, you know, and we, a lot of us are like that. And, and as a single mom, I had to be too, the one who took care of things and made sure things happened. And overnight, I went from being very capable and resourceful and the provider to not being able to work, barely able to move with a young person to take care of. And um, like many people, I thought it would just go away because even though it was horrible and debilitating and very, very intensely painful, everything heals, doesn't it? You know, everything we meet gets better, <laughs> it's right? It's our assumption. <laughs> that yes. was my experience in life. You sprain your ankle, it gets better. You have the flu, you get over it. So I'd never experienced anything like this before where it didn't go away. So the first, almost the whole first year, um, I was very incapacitated, but I was in the belief that it was going to lift and get better. And I did everything I was supposed to do, you know, be very quiet. Um, I was told by the thoracic surgeon that I went to see to keep my hands next to my waist. Well, you know, (laughs) what can you do with your hands next to your waist? Not a whole lot. So every time you're doing anything with this condition, you're actually making it worse because every time you use your arms, that area 
on the top of your body that's already compressed compresses more, and then the tissues swell more, and then the nerves get more inflamed. So it's this incredible catch-22 where you're stuck in this place that you can't really get out of because there's no physical manipulations that help it. Um, I also tried, I'm not big on using medications anyway, but I did try them uh, as part of my disability process to show that I was wanting to heal um, and being a compliant patient and all that stuff. So I, I did try several nerve medications and I'll never forget the day we went to pick one up. Um, my son was in the car with me and he was just amazing help through all this. He helped me with so many things and he came with me everywhere to do the shopping and the laundry because he had to do most of these mm-hmm. things. So we went to pick up this prescription and I remember opening up the box and this this list fell out and it was like this long sort of Jacob's Ladder accordion you know, thing that went all the way to the floor of the car with tiny, tiny writing on it. And Connor took that from me and said, what's this? And he said, mom, this is the list of possible side effects. It went on and on and on and on. And one of them was sudden death. And he was a little alarmed, like, you're not really going to take that. Well, I kind of have to. I took it for a week. But the side effects were were not livable. You know, then it, it just, nerve pain's very difficult to deal with. So it kind of put the pain at a little bit of a distance, but but brought on, my insomnia was much worse. I was nauseated. I was really fogged out and dizzy, which you can't be if you've got a kid that you have to drive around. And so I quickly put away the idea of using medications. And for this condition, there's very little that can be done physically either. Now, some people have a much lighter version than I did, so they can do some physical therapy and it does help them and they do come through it. And some people do have um, surgery. And I mentioned I went to a thoracic um, outlet surgeon. Oh, that, thoracic, I read yeah. that and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. that was so drastic what yes. they were saying. What they do is they remove the first rib. Yes. Did they? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not big on surgery either. So I, I'm, but they were going to remove the first that's what rib they do. on yeah. both sides. Yeah. On both sides, it would have been for me. And, and luckily I had a really wonderful sane surgeon. He's one of the best in San Francisco. And and he spent two hours with me explaining the physiology of my condition and explaining to me why I was not a good candidate for this surgery. He said to me, don't do this. And I said, good, because I really didn't want to. This wasn't the direction I wanted to but go in. It didn't they even say if they did that, it might come back anyway. Yes, that's exactly what he said. He said, for you, in your case, it's probably not going to help. It'll come back. It's a terribly long um, recovery process for some, something as drastic as that. And then he said, you're probably just going to have it again. And I was so grateful that he was honest about that. Mm. So for some people, there are ways to work with thoracic outlet syndrome. For me, I had it. Most people have it on one side of their body only. I had it on both sides. Most people find that it affects more their muscles or more their nerves or more their arteries I had on all three levels. The super duper deluxe version of this. Yeah. And now I look back and think, well, I don't know how that happened, but it did force me 
inward. It forced me to find other ways of dealing with pain. Again, I wasn't somebody that was going to go to medication anyway, but there was nothing there, even on the alternative end of things that was going to touch nerve pain. There wasn't really anything to do in terms of physical therapy. Most of the people I went to um, unwittingly made it worse because they weren't used to my severity of well, my case. So, Sarah, I mean, would that cause like just complete despair? Like, okay, I am really like screwed here. This is like, oh my gosh. (laughs) It took me about a year to really get it, that this wasn't going away. Because I, again, I was in the mode of, I'll just do the right things. I'll eat right. The only exercise I could do was walking. So I would use walking as my physical therapy. So I was doing all the right things. So of course it was going to go away, but it didn't. And after about the first, almost the first full year One of my doctors said to me, um, you know, Sarah, this is a condition that's progressive. It gets worse. It's not going to get better. And I went, ugh. And my other Uh doctor basically said the same thing. Uh You know, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. And some people who have it this severely, their arms atrophy. They actually, the arms stop working at all. Some people get strokes that have it as badly as I had it. So Yeah, there was a point after about the first year where I was hit with that news and fell into definitely (laughs) despair, depression, hopelessness. So, um, So yes, you do fall into despair and you do fall into hopelessness and helplessness. There's a, there's a, response that we often have to pain when we first go into pain, and that is to fight it. That's Mm -hmm. the first thing we usually do is we just, you know, let's get rid of this. That's the first thing. We go into battle mode. And with this condition, I did try to, you know, do everything I could to heal it. Well, okay, let's we'll go. go we're going to get to the healing now. Um, so I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she is the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And if you want to know about her work, you can go to her website, sarahannshockley.com, and she spells her name S-A-R-A-H, Sarah, and A-N-N-E, Shockley, S-H-O-C-K-L-E-Y, sarahannshockley.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she's the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And Sarah, in your story, allopathic medicine wasn't really that helpful at this point. Pharmaceuticals weren't doing it. The treatments weren't doing it. So what did you, why, where did you go <laughs> then? What made you go into some other form that was helpful? Well, as I was saying before the, the break, um, I, I tried, you know, sometimes often our first response is to be angry or to, to fight pain. And that didn't work with my condition at all because uh, it, it, any kind of stress that the pain goes through the roof, any kind of tension in the body. So having any kind of feeling of I'm going to get through this. Okay. I'm is adds tension to the body. And I just couldn't handle that. So I, I moved away from the fight response and I went into, okay, after the news that I was going to be living with it probably for the rest of my life, um, I thought, okay, these are the cards I've been dealt. I'll just live with it. And I went into, um, stoic mode. <laughs> now, I'm from New England. We do stoicism really well. So you don't show your pain. You don't, you know, you try not to uh, feel it too much. You don't talk about it and you just get through it. So I spent years, literally years in the, the mode of just living with it. And I had a kid to take care of and I had to just try to do the best I could. So did you isolate yourself then? I mean, did, did you? Yeah. Did, did your relationships and your friendships kind of suffer? You didn't participate? Did you, you feel yeah. any shame or did you go into anger or blame or any of that? All of that, yeah. <laughs> because yes, it's it's a natural inclination and it's almost impossible not to be isolated for a while, if, especially if your pain is very acute and very severe. Because part of what comes along with living with pain is exhaustion. It's, it's exhausting to be with pain. And it's not just, oh, I have a pain in my knee or I have a pain in my neck or I have a pain over here. Pain takes over your entire experience of your body and of your life. It, it pretty much moves in and invades everything. So it's very tiring. You, you usually, most people in pain don't sleep well. So we're sleep deprived or kind of fogged, foggy brained all the time. It's extremely difficult to participate in anything. Um, sometimes we get blamed for not trying harder. Actually, often we get blamed for not trying harder, for not showing up better, even though we're in pain, because we, we tend to try to compartmentalize pain as if pain's over here in this part of our body and then there's the rest of us. That's people who aren't in pain. People who are in pain for a long time get that it's, no, you can't do that. It's all of me as it feels like it's in pain. And so, yeah, so participating may, in life is very challenging. May, may I ask you though, when when you're in that state, when pain is is the foremost thing, I guess you would, your tendency is to allow pain to be the director of your life. Yeah, yeah. That you, that it's running the show. And I think that you have some advice about that. Well, it does run the show for a while yeah. <laughs> because you can't help but do it. Yes. Um, and so what happens over time is that it, it, pain kind of feels like an invader, feels like a roommate you never wanted, feels like um, something dark and hor horrible has come into your life and into your very body. So it's easy to feel like pain is the director of your life. It's easy to feel like pain is in charge. Yes, I do talk about what I ended up um, 
working with eventually is realizing I couldn't fight it and realizing after those number of years of, of just putting up with it, that wasn't really healing it. It was better than fighting it because I wasn't so tense. So the pain levels went down just a little bit, but it wasn't really healing the condition. It wasn't really healing pain. I was just putting up with it. So I thought, well, what, there must be some, some other path. There must be, and, and, you know, most of us, when we go to doctors or when we go to practitioners, we're, we're mostly offered either, can we stop the pain or you're just going to have to live with it, or here's some medication to help you live with it. That's, we're not given a whole lot of other options. So I tend to always be somebody who tries to look for the other side of things, you know, or the deeper message in things. And I thought, well, how, how is this that that's all we've got? We can fight it or we can give up. Hmm. That either or. That either yeah. or thing. Mm-hmm. And after those number of years, this was about five years of living with pain at this point, I thought, you know, I, I can't do this. I cannot look down my life and see that I'm going to be in this amount of pain for the rest of my life and possibly worse. I just can't. Now, I'm not talking about feeling suicidal. I'm just talking about feeling like I have to find a way out of this. And and pushing isn't going to work. And fighting my way through isn't going to work. And the medical establishment doesn't have anything to offer me. Where am I going to go? So I thought, well, I have in the past used journaling for emotional pain. And I honestly, I, I mean, I could barely walk. So the idea of what to do was kind of ludicrous because I could hardly do anything. And I know a lot of people in pain are in that position. There isn't much they can actually physically do. But I got myself a thick pen with a really easy, you know, I could barely close my hand. So it had to be a big fat pen with felt tip. I could hardly bend my neck down at all. But I thought I'm going to write this pain out of my body. I'm going to see if I can do that. So I would write literally like a sentence at a time, not even being able to look down at the page, just kind of scroll it across. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have this influx of pain. I'd get up and walk around. I'd go back and maybe write another. And what I wrote was my experience of living with pain. I had looked for somebody who had already written about that, couldn't find it. So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'm going to write my own experience, not for other people, for myself. Um, You feel very isolated and very alone when you're in pain. It feels like in a way, you are the only one in there with you. I mean, you are alone with your pain. That's true. On the other hand, we tend to, as you were mentioning, isolate ourselves. And because pain feels feels like a field around us as well as within our body. So it is a way, feels like an isolating factor. So like I, you're walking around in your own egg. Your own, yes, yeah. exactly. Your own bubble of pain yes. in a sense. And yes. a lot of people in pain can feel people approaching them from several feet away because your pain, your pain sensors are out there because you're, you're very sensitive. So I began to write slowly, slowly, slowly. And over a couple of years, literally, I filled a couple spiral notebooks with my ranting about pain. I, I talked about how awful it was. I talked about the incredible emotions that you deal with that are not spoken of very often in our culture. We don't do pain very well. And I'd like to talk about that in a little bit. But I talked about the loss and the sadness and the grief and the shame, as you mentioned earlier, and, and the self-blame and the blame towards others and the the anger that, you know, I, I got this at work and my my boss was still running around fine. And I here I was with this disability from working. Wow, that didn't seem fair. So the unfairness and the just the tremendous amount of loneliness and sadness that comes with being in pain. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And of course, sometimes I had to stop for weeks at a time because I'd have flare-ups. But 
after I'd written this out, and I, I started also to write letters to Payne. I thought I'm going to talk to Payne directly. And I would write, Dear Payne, and some of the letters are in the book. Yes, they are. Yeah, and they, you know, why are you still here? What do you want from me? You know, just ranting. But I began to address Payne as if it was a personality or a being or a force, because that's what it feels like. It feels like a force in your life. And after I had written these out, I thought, well, you know, you're going to have to read this. You have to sit down and read this. That's part of the thing here. So I thought, okay. And it, it may sound strange, but it was a little scary to read this to myself because I had to look at how awful it had been. I had to read through my own experience. And when you're in terrible physical pain, really acute pain, it's extremely difficult to have the room to deal with the emotional pain that comes with it. It's happening, but we don't have... Well, we don't have a, a medical culture right now or a pain culture that actually helps us see it or work with it or allow it space. And for ourselves, we, we're barely getting through each day, a lot of us. I think that you, there was something you mentioned in the book that really popped out at me. Mm-hmm. And that was that, that doctors never asked the question, how does this feel for you? And, yeah. and, and when, when did it first start? Or, or some questions that, that are be kind of getting at that angle. But, well, speaking to the whole person yeah. is, is something I'd like to see changed. And, yes. and we'll, we can talk more about that in a bit. Um, but that's true. Yeah, we're not asked about how it affects our lives. We're not asked about our experience of being in pain. It's all relegated and compartmentalized, as I was saying before, into just the physicality of it. But it goes well beyond, especially chronic pain, goes way beyond just a physical thing. It's it's systemic and it's and it involves the whole person. There are other things that just can't attach themselves to it. And you're talking about that, all these emotional states. And yes. These, uh, yeah. And that naturally arise from it. It's, it's, it's natural to feel alone in pain. It's natural to feel uh, scared. There's a lot of terror and fear that comes with being in pain. So can pain then, I know when you're writing these letters, there's one letter where you actually have pain write or yeah. pain speak speak its truth. And that's like turning the tables. Yes. Yes. I began to work with that. Well, after I read this back to myself, I I realized that something, it was difficult. I realized that I had been in in a worse state that I had even known, um, that we don't even let ourselves feel what we're feeling when we're in terrible pain because we can barely deal with the physical aspect of it. So witnessing it was really important. If if we read that and we really know all this physical pain, it's going to get worse. Absolutely. So we we go into this denial of what we're really feeling or what we really went through. Absolutely. It's part of the the pain paradigm, the pain culture I would like to be part of changing. We, We name all pain bad and we fear pain and we're not taught how to express it and we're taught that we shouldn't express it, we shouldn't show it. So that's yeah, part of what I believe needs away. to change. People don't yeah. like it when we, they. Well, they're scared you know, of it. Yeah. If you don't get over it pretty soon, they they just they. I don't know if we feel like, oh my gosh, it's a virus, and I'm going to get it too, or it's whatever it that. is. It's and, partly that, and we're just not taught how to work with boring pain. or yeah. not interesting to me, or mm-hmm. I I don't I'm afraid that I'll be there too. Yeah. That's one thing that your book did for me. It gave me a lot more compassion for those people who are reporting pain and and they've been reporting this pain for a while. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I I'm I feel much more open now to be present for that yeah. in whatever it takes for yeah. however long it takes. And that's one of the things is that it doesn't it has its own timetable. It sure does. It's it's we 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 try to force pain to follow our timetable. And it just won't, <laughs> not all the time. Sometimes we have short-term pain and things heal on a schedule and that's really great because we know what it is and it's a sprained ankle or it's the you know something, a broken bone and we know that it's going to heal. That's a usually a different kind of pain, a different kind of pain experience. It can be really intense. I'm not saying it, might, it, it isn't. But most of the times people know they're coming out of it and they know where they're headed. And that's a very different experience than when you're in a pain that won't leave. Uh, and it begins to kind of morph almost and spread through your whole experience and your whole body. I'm here with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she is the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sarahannshockley.com. She spells her name S-A-R-A-H-N-A-N-N-E, Shockley, S-H-O-C-K-L-E-Y, Shockley. Com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she's the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And Sarah, I I know that you understand, like when you try all these treatments and you change your diet and you do all these therapeutic things and none of that works. And then you realize, oh, there's this whole emotional body that's that's mm-hmm. coming up that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, just to say that it was so important for me to witness myself in that by reading back what I'd written about it and to realize that I was in a lot of emotional pain that I hadn't allowed myself to see and hadn't made room for and hadn't realized was part of the pain package, so to speak. And I think that's important for listeners who are in pain to understand that sometimes we can almost slide into a a depressed state without realizing it because we're feeling ashamed of being in pain. And not even recognizing necessarily that's what we're feeling, but it's just there. Feeling bad about feeling bad is the way I put it. And we're, we're experiencing this erosion of our life. Sometimes it happens overnight, but sometimes it's also a slow erosion because you're in pain. You're losing more and more of your life to pain is what it feels like. So there's a tremendous sense of loss and, and grief that goes with that, as I mentioned before. So it's I think it's one of the first 
things to do, or one of the first ways of beginning to heal even the physical part of pain is to recognize the emotional aspects of physical pain, the emotional life of physical pain, and to begin to mitigate that and begin to find ways to live with that and and change your relationship with that. So that's a lot about what the first part of my book is about, is talking about those, recognizing those, and then then providing what I call antidotes, you know, ways of re-engaging with life, ways of being with life differently. Um, ways of perceiving that you, you're not wrong. It's not a mistake. A lot of times we blame ourselves for being in pain. So uh, the emotional component's really strong and really important to be recognized by ourselves to ourselves and also um, as part of our overall culture and the way we deal with pain. It's really important to understand that people in long-term pain are going through a lot more than just the physical aspects of it and to begin to make space for that. Um, I would like to see in our our medical culture move a little closer to what feels more healing to me, and that is maybe it's more old school, but to allow some space and time for when a patient comes in to see a doctor to allow their whole self to show up. In other words, a lot of times we go in and we have something going on and we feel like the doctor, uh, unwittingly, it's just, it's the training, it's the medical system we're in, it's not blaming anybody, but we kind of feel like they're talking to our condition and not us, you know, and we don't always felt feel heard. We don't feel seen. And I believe that it's really important part of our healing um, to allow the whole person to be involved in the healing process, to include the whole person, because the whole person is affected by pain. Even if it's mostly in your left knee, it's all of you is feeling that and all of you is experiencing that. And it feels to me from my experience that part of the healing is to, as a practitioner or as a friend or as a family member, to allow the person in pain to be in the pain they're in for a moment before we try to push them towards healing. So, yes, um, we want to fix yes, people. We want to fix, yeah. 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 And of course we do because we love them. Yes. Sometimes it's because we're uncomfortable with their pain ourselves. Right. Sometimes we're, we're afraid of pain, but it's also the, 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 paradigm we're in around pain that I'd like to see change. And I think part of what I'm doing now is in in talking about this is hoping to be a voice for this kind of change. But part of it is that we perceive all pain is bad and that the first thing we do then, if pain is bad and it's a mistake and it's wrong and you must have done something wrong to get in this pain, then we have to stop it immediately. That's We start from stopping pain. We start there. And because this is the ocean we swim in, so to speak, that may sound strange. Like, of course you want to stop pain because we accept it that that's what we're supposed to be doing, stopping the pain. But in my experience of living with it for so long and in talking to many, many people who've had chronic pain over time, that approach of fighting it and and stopping it and, and holding it as bad doesn't seem to be working for us well, very well. Well, there's that phrase, what you resist persists. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're kind of locking it into place. There's a sort of a line of battle drawn. And on one side is pain, and on the other side is all these treatments we're trying. We're trying all these various different things. And the reason I feel that a lot of them aren't working, even alternatives, and they may work for a while, that they may work for some people and not other people, but I think the reason we don't have a definitive answer for chronic pain and for the way we're approaching chronic pain is that we're, all of them are starting from the place of let's end this pain right now. So am I getting this correct uh, in your estimation that when the pain first comes on and it might even come on a little slowly 
And then we have that attitude, oh, well, we'll fix this. We'll, we'll take this treatment or take this pill or whatever it is. And sometimes that might work. Yes. But then if it persists and we've tried, we've gone to all sorts of doctors or all alternative therapists or whatever, and, and now what's laying on to it, something else happens. It, it's like it morphs is what I'm mm-hmm. going to say. It yeah. morphs because it starts collecting this other baggage which is exacerbating it, which is that emotional body that it's collecting. Well, that's true. That's true. That they kind of interlock with each other. And it's not that the emotional part is, uh, I don't ever want to give the feeling to listeners that, that, that it's a mistake or it's wrong to have those emotions. Those are natural emotions. It is scary to be in pain. It is, uh, you do lose a lot. You, it is sad. You know, in other words, I never want to give the impression that I'm saying that that's a, a problem. That's just part of the package. That's what happens. So it's like accepting that in some way. It's or- a way of, um, yes, and it's a way of um, moving I'd rather see us move away from the sense of pain as an enemy and pain as something to be killed and stopped, not to the place of, oh, I love pain. I want to enjoy it. No, not not that, but to go to the place of, okay, pain has shown up. It's already here. What is its purpose? And one of the things I started working with in, when I was going in my own trip and my own journey through this was how can I find a different way of being with pain? Fighting it isn't working. And just putting up with it isn't working. How can I create a relationship with pain? That's not something we do. We're we're taught to hate it, to be angry at it, to put it away, to not show it, to consider it wrong and bad. So when you have pain in your body for a long time, you begin to feel like you're the mistake, you're wrong, you're bad. Something you must have done something awful for this. This must be a punishment. And you'll even see that in a, a lot of our uh, not just the pain, the medical community says, you know, why aren't you out of pain? You mm-hmm. must be, you must be malingering. You must not be trying hard enough. That comes from that. But it also comes from the new age community unwittingly says, well, if you're in pain, you must be resisting your good or you must be, you know, whatever. The, from from Christianity, we get, it, it's a trial from God or you don't have enough faith. Or, so all of these these attitudes are starting from the place that pain is wrong. Therefore, the person who's still in pain becomes wrong over time. And we can't seem to move. I don't feel feel we're going to be able to heal chronic pain till we get out of that starting place. Go right back to the way we perceive pain, which then leads to the way we respond to it, which then leads to the way we experience it, which then leads to the way we heal it or don't heal it. So we have to go all the way back to how do we, what is pain? Why is it here? So what I'm getting um, there, as I was going through your book, and I came up with this analogy, and you have several wonderful analogies in the book that you. <laughs> that you use, I love. And the one that I came up with at some point was, oh, okay, pain, it's like a, a Tolkien novel, and I'm going through the Badlands. Yes. But I have this guide and the guide is pain. Exactly. <laughs> and that, like, 
Oh, even though it's a very difficult guide. Absolutely. It's not one we would choose. (laughs) Pain has become a mentor to me and a teacher and absolutely a guide. And certainly I wouldn't run up and sign up for that. (laughs) Nobody would. (laughs) But um, when I have found that the best way seemingly to me, and, and I would, you know, whatever way people can find to get through pain, I would support. But for me and for many of the people I've talked to, Changing that perception of pain from this enemy, horrible, demonic thing to a guide, a messenger, um, it's a signal from your body to you. And in a sense, it's you talking to you. So it's the hurting part of you asking for attention. That's a different way of seeing pain right there. And when you shift that, just that slight seeming shift is extremely profound in the way that it feels in your body, in the way it feels in your life. Suddenly there's a, something opens up around hope. Something opens up in our minds to allow more avenues for healing. If we understand that, oh, pain is the feeling of me trying to heal something. It's not my enemy. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I certainly want it to be over. But fighting it isn't making it over faster. It just is. And, and, and just taking medications, if that's all we're offered, then again, I'm not against medications. A lot of people can barely function without them. And I support whoever needs to take them. And let's, add, let's not leave it there. Let's not have that be the only thing we're offered. One of the analogies you use in, in really working with pain, and I love this, it's like this this whiny kid that's just whining and whining and you just you're really busy and you say okay just be quiet be quiet and finally it just gets so insistent that you finally just come down to the level of this kid and you look them in the eye and say okay what do you want yeah what what is it that you want i mean you yeah. have to stop <laughs> and do that and that's what you're talking about that's about. exactly what i'm talking about with pain we we when we think of pain as an enemy and as a force to be conquered then we're always in the battle there's no coming out of that battle now sometimes we we win it meaning the pain ends and it's short term and it's fine but in chronic pain we're clearly not winning that battle nobody is it's on and on and on so i began to think of ways how can i communicate with pain how can i work with pain and one of them was like wow what if pain isn't the enemy? And I thought pain is annoying and it's and I got that idea if it's like a little kid pulling on your I thought, well, what if I wow, what if pain was closer to being not that it's a little kid, but what if I thought of it that way as something in me that was hurting that needed attention? So if a little kid came up to me or my my child, my son said, I'm hurting, I wouldn't punch him or push him away or say, shut up or go, you know, that that's what we do to pain. Right. So I thought, you know, if we can turn toward pain, which is something we're absolutely told never to do. And I, this works for emotional pain as well as physical pain. But if we turn toward it and say, okay, and just kind of relax and drop the whole battle, you know, take our armor off and say, what, what do you have to offer? What are you trying and to communicate? And that may surprise us when we get to that point. So uh, I'd like to remind our listeners that I'm here with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she is the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain, of which she has had and continues to have some deep experience with. Um, and... 
I want to remind our listeners that I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. here with Sarah Ann Shockley, and she is the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living With and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And we've been spending time really setting the stage of the the paradigm that we live in about pain, the prejudices, uh, the uh, sense of isolation, the sense of blame, the anger, the emotions. And that is something that is often not in the dialogue, it's not really being explicit, although it's it's implicit in what is going on when when we're in this kind of chronic pain. So I really appreciate, Sarah, that you're setting that stage to help us to understand the territory that we're actually living in and not denying it. And I'd love for you to go on with that mm-hmm. premise and that paradigm what advice and what insights you have for us now? Yeah, absolutely. So practically speaking, in terms of, well, what do I do with this, you know, in my daily life with pain? um, That's basically what the book is about, is how to live with the pain you're already in, the little more grace and ease. And um, part of that, of course, is recognizing and working with the emotional aspects. But part of it also is working directly with the physical pain in the body. And I do that with totally non-medical means and non-pharmaceutical means. These are things that people can do on their own at home anytime they want to. And it's a way of creating a different kind of relationship with the pain in the body. Because what you're doing... When we, when we shift this paradigm into recognizing that pain is here for a purpose, it has a positive purpose, it is an aspect of our healing, you know, we're all going to meet pain at some point on our path in life. It's emotional pain, it's physical pain, it may be here for a short time, it may be here for a long time. But to understand it's part of the human journey, we've somehow tried to pull it out of the human journey and say it's different, it's wrong, it's not part of it. If you meet it, you've done something wrong. It's a mistake. So we want to move away from that and understand that it's if it's here, it's here. It must have a purpose. So being with it differently. And one of the ways to do that is to begin to kind of set up a communication with it. And so I have a lot of different uh, imaginative kind of creative exercises to, to do that with. And one is, of course, doing what I did originally, which is writing letters to pain and just expressing how you feel. And you might write write letters that express your anger and your, you know, the frustration and how horrible it's been. And I, I fully support getting that out of your system. You know, talk to pain the way you really say what you really feel about it, get it out. <laughs> and um, then what I did is I let pain write back. 
So how, how to do that is, is um, you just simply step into, in a sense, inside yourself, the, the, the energy or the feeling of the pain and allow it to write you a letter. And you might be surprised what pain writes. You might be expecting that pain's message to you would be rather negative or awful or blaming. And by and large, it usually isn't. It's Pain is usually asking for something. It's asking for attention. It's asking for a different kind of attention than we usually give it. So often when we communicate with pain, and I would also say another way to do this would be imagine pain is sitting in a chair across from you. Or get up and, and sit in that chair as pain and pretend you're talking to you. You may be surprised at what comes out. Pain may be asking you to slow down. Pain may be asking you to, to be softer with it and with yourself. Pain may be asking for compassion rather than your anger and hatred. Now, and, and your anger and hatred are completely understandable. But if when we can shift into going, oh, I, I, I don't like this, I under, it's really painful... Yet the pain itself begins to release and get a little bit less acute when we release our our feelings towards it as that that battling. Well, sense. that battling feeling uh, just naturally is contractive. Yes, I mean, absolutely. There's physiological responses to it. You're, you're tenser, we contract. And the other thing I work with um, in the book is working with awareness and breath. So our, our first response to, to physical pain usually is it, we, take the, we hold the breath, we pull it in, and we contract our whole body, and, but often mostly we contract around the pain. We're trying to stop it. We're trying to stop the pain from spreading. We're trying to, not necessarily consciously, but this is kind of our natural response to it because it hurts. Sometimes we hold our breath to almost build a wall of breath between us and the pain, if you know if that's possible. But as we try to do that, we we take very shallow breaths. And I started working with this when I tried to meditate while I was in pain. I thought, well, I can meditate. Well, that backfired <laughs> because I couldn't sit sit up straight very well for any length of time without the pain getting much worse. I couldn't do deep breathing without getting much worse. So traditional meditation didn't work for me. And I know some people do use it to good effect with pain. I had to start with the most lightweight stuff. So I went into more creative avenues, but while I was looking at meditating, I began to notice my breathing patterns. And I noticed that I was holding my breath a lot. And I noticed this trying to stop pain with my breath. And I thought, I don't think that's really probably really healing because we need to have the blood flow. We need the, the tissues, need the, the blood and the oxygen to heal. So if we're holding our breath and we're contracting and we're tense... That's physiologically not helping our healing, but it's also something really interesting happens when you begin to take a positive attitude towards pain and begin to actually give it things instead of trying to withdraw from it and take from it. So I started to do kind of almost opposite things that were very counterintuitive, like, okay, what if just sort of like what we were talking about earlier, if I think of it as almost a little kid looking for attention. What if I just imagine myself kind of sitting next to the pain in my body, just maybe pick the place of the worst pain, and listeners can even try this now, and just quietly breathe next to the pain. Just be with it without pushing it away. Just let it be where it is. I don't have to like it. I can just be there. And that in itself- It feels so loving. Yeah. It's a very different stance. And pain, because it's part of you, really, it- recognizes that that's what's happening. It begins to relax. It's, again, if we think of it as the part of us that is asking for help, that is already hurting, 
then we don't want to beat it up. We want to actually be softer with it and kinder with it. And when we learn how to be softer and kinder with pain, we learn about how we can be with ourselves differently. We learn compassion for ourselves. We learn to give ourselves a break. We learn to give ourselves more space for being who we are and not having to be perfect all the time and not having to heal right now today. Pain is going to take the time it takes. As we said before, it's got its own timetable. So we can fight with that as long as we want to, but I think that's part of what locks pain in place. But if we can let go of that and realize, okay, it's got its own timing, somehow that speeds up the timing because it allows it to be where it is. So you can work with breath by imagining you're breathing with it next to it. You can work with breath by giving pain breath allowing pain to breathe. And I thought, well, what, would, what if I did the opposite of trying to contract it? What if I allowed it more space? Which sounds really scary when you're in a lot of pain. That sounds like the worst thing to do. But I had nothing else, you know, to go with. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, pain, take the space you need. And pain just kind of feels, and many people have tried this. You just say, okay, let's give pain breath, give it space. And it starts to relax out and it sort of begins to dissipate around the edges. Does it go away? No. Is it immediate miraculous healing? I would hope so, but not usually. But if you can play with these things, you begin to find out that pain can shift. And when you find out that pain can shift at all, you know it can shift more. And that brings in hope and that brings in healing. And that begins to allow, plus when we, we breathe differently, we're allowing that healing breath to move through the body. We're allowing the blood flow. We're allowing the tissues to restore themselves. I mean, there's actual physiological responses too that go with it. So we're working on all kinds of levels and we're bringing in more aspects of ourself into the healing process, which I think is really, really important because we have to know that when we're healing chronic pain, we're healing the whole self. That's really I know one one of the uh, techniques that you use also is um, through art. Mm -hmm. That using maybe you could speak briefly about yeah, that. Yeah, I I do encourage people to express their pain, and um, because I found it so important, the first time pain began to release for me was when I began to express it. So I used through writing, but then you can. I wasn't able to hold a paintbrush very well, but if you are able to do any kind of painting or drawing. Sometimes painting's easier because the paint moves easier across the surface. So when you're in pain, you want something to really flow. But if you need to spatter it or throw things on, you know, whatever, you, your, your first painting might look all black and dark because you're needing to express that part of it. But as, as you express that and you kind of move through that, then you can express other aspects of it too. And you can express your desire to heal. You can express what you imagine healing would be like. And I also say, let pain do a painting. You know, step into pain and say, here, you take the brush and, and see what happens. And it's just a way so of- So another way that you get this other communication. Yes. It's a way of, oddly, what we want to do is exclude pain from our experience, but it's already here. So for me, what I found the most healing path is to include it and allow it to be where it already is. And when we include it in, it does begin to heal. It begins to shift. And I've made tremendous shifts in my pain in the last few years from doing all these things. So- and, and my readers have told me that it's really helped them a lot. So as, as strange as this may sound to some people who are listening in pain, like, what? I would never do that. I encourage you to experiment. Become curious about your pain. Become curious about what it's here for. If there's a reason for it, and if the reason isn't bad, if the reason isn't you're bad, you made a mistake, well, what is the positive reason? And what can I learn from this? And how can pain be a guide and a teacher to me? 
And again, it's not the teacher we really would like to sign up for, but if it's already here, it probably has something to share. And I have gained tremendous amount from being in pain. Would I want wish this journey on anyone? No. Would I want to repeat it? No. But I've learned a great deal about compassion for others, compassion for myself. I feel like I've gained a lot of insights into life. And you certainly have to be able to come into the core of yourself and find the deepest part of yourself to be able to get through this journey with pain. Sarah, thank you so much You're for so being very with welcome. us. I've been speaking with Sarah Ann Shockley. She's the author of The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sarahannshockley.com, S-A-R-A-H-N-A-N-N-E, Shockley, S-H-O-C-K-L-E-Y, sarahannshockley.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3648. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.